add my welcome and happy new year to you all. And I want to invite you to turn to the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. That's 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking at chapter 3. As we enter a new year, it always seems fitting. I think many of us do this. We refocus on the things that are most important. Uh, We take an inventory of where we're at, whether it's physically, financially, God willing, spiritually. And then we recalibrate our activities and rhythms accordingly. And as it relates to the life of Emmaus Road Church and our personal engagement in this this corporate life together, it, it has seemed right to do the same thing, that is to remind ourselves of what we do and why we do it, kind of a corporate recalibration. So as a church, um, our mission is to make and multiply disciples who will impact the city of Sioux Falls and our surrounding region and the nations for the glory of Jesus. And accomplishing that mission requires a delivery system. That is, there's a particular way that we go about making and multiplying disciples of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. And our way, the so-called Emmaus Road Church way, it's certainly not the only way. Nevertheless, we do what we do for a reason. There's more than just madness to our methods. We are intentional. And, And so why do we do what we do? And and perhaps on a more personal level, how does a commitment to this local church fit into the the far grander priorities of of you and me being faithful disciples, fruitful disciples, and disciple makers of Jesus? Those are the questions that we want to give our attention to uh, answering over the next few weeks. So... um, I want to invite you, uh, if you're able, to stand, and we want to give our attention to God's Word to us through the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 through 13. Paul writes, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, We kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us 
the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you're standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face. And supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself. And our Lord Jesus. Direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase. And abound in love for one another. And for all. As we do for you. So that. He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is God's holy and authoritative word. May he bless it. May he get glory through the reading of it, the preaching of it, and the hearing of it. Let's pray. That's our, that's our request, God, that you would be magnified. You would be glorified, you would be praised, you would be enjoyed, you would be delighted in because of what you have said. And not just words, but the specific things that you have communicated to us about yourself. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. And may you, you profit it. And may you Cause it to work in such a way that things are accomplished in our lives. Get things done, we ask, O oh God, in us and through us. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's no mistaking the main point of this passage. Paul repeats it three times. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore... When we could bear it no longer, we sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in your faith. Then he says it again in verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. And then one more time, for good measure, verse 8. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction... We've been comforted about you through your faith. So Paul's supreme concern is for the, the Thessalonian believers' faith. Paul's peace of mind is directly related to the Thessalonian believers' faith. What makes Paul's heart sing? The believers' faith. What's Paul's passion? Their faith. What informs Paul's priorities? 
the strength of their faith, what stokes the fire of, of Paul's prayer life, it's the vibrancy and joy of their faith. Verse 10, we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So the, the sum of Paul's ministry is the joyful perseverance of the faith of God's people. For Paul, the, the primary task of a local church is the work of building faith. If you ask Paul, what does it mean practically, functionally, to make and multiply disciples? His answer is establish, strengthen, nourish, increase, deepen, build up people's faith. Now, it's our conviction that this is a significant matter for us. It's a big deal to your elders, your deacons, your missional community leaders, that the sum of Paul's disciple-making ministry had to do with the faith of God's people. It is, well, if it is the strength and joy of the faith of God's people that was of first and foremost importance to Paul, then it is our conviction that the strength and the joy of your faith is of first and foremost importance to us. And so with that in mind, and in view of the start of another new year, I want to answer two questions, crucial questions. First, what is faith? Or, or more specifically, what, what does Paul mean by faith? That's a huge thing. It's, if we're going to understand Paul's passion, Paul's ministry, and emulate it, we have to be clear about what it is that he was so zealously devoted to building. So what does Paul mean by faith? And then the second question is, of all the ministry priorities in which Paul could invest himself, why is building faith, joyful faith, so, so central? In other words, what's really at stake here? It has to be something massive, right? Massive for Paul to use terms like, when we could bear it no longer. <laughs> or we were willing to be left behind alone. Or in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you. How? Through your faith. And perhaps most re the most revealing phrase of all, then, in this text is, Now. We live. <laughs> now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. That's some pretty intense language, right? So, first question. Well, what does Paul mean by faith? And Paul's clearest definition of what he means by faith is actually not found in this text, but rather in his letter to the Romans, which we have been spending significant time in. In Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, Paul is referring to the faith of Abraham when he says, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his 
faith as he gave glory to God. And, and then here is what Paul means by faith. Here's his definition. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So Paul defines faith as being fully convinced or fully assured or having full conviction. For Paul, it, it, it was not enough just to tell somebody, have faith or just believe. I have to be more precise. There's always talk about faith these days, right? Have a little faith, just believe, believe, um, think positive thoughts. But, but that's not what Paul and the Bible refers to or means by faith. For Paul, faith is always directed toward God. And, and, and even that isn't precise enough. It's not enough to just say, believe God or trust God. The question is, trust God for what? What are we relying on God to do? And the answer, according to Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, faith means trusting God, relying on God, depending on God to fulfill his promises. Abram had, had faith in what God promised to do for him. Abraham's faith was in specific Objective promises God had spoken to him. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able and would do exactly what he promised he would do. And so for Paul, faith is, is not some vague or general confidence in God. For Paul, faith means Trusting God, depending on God, relying on God with full conviction to do specific things that God has promised that he's going to do. Now, back to 1 Thessalonians 3. Verses 2 and 3, Paul says, We sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. And then in verse 8 he says, Now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. So here, here, here's what we know was going on. Paul and his cohorts, Silas and Timothy, had visited Thessalonica to preach the gospel and they suffered for it. They paid a price. While they were preaching, they took a licking. We know that they were threatened. We know that they were fiercely opposed. They had been run out of town. And because of this, Paul's burden, his burden was that the Thessalonian believers might be moved. They might be moved because of his afflictions, because of his sufferings. Things had gone so bad, they, they could see that and be affected by that and 
as he says, moved, shift. That is, their confidence in God could decline. And they might become dislodged in their confidence in God and their reliance on God. Why would that happen? Why would they be tempted to move or shift the object of their faith? Well, it's because afflictions and sufferings and trials have a way of causing one's faith to move. We probably know of people whose faith has moved in the past year or so. Crushingly hard days have come and will come. For some, more crushingly than others. Conscious fellowship with God can and will be overshadowed at different times and seasons. And these hard and unbearable days or seasons, especially when the hard and unbearable things were things we did not ask for, and they are unjust, and they're just not right. They raise questions as to whether or not God is really good, or whether or not God's really powerful, or God is really in control, or maybe most especially, whether or not God is for us. And the thought crosses our minds. This is just so wrong. How could God let this happen? And seeds of doubt are sown. And we wonder, can can God really be trusted? And if God can't be trusted, well then can I be fully confident, fully assured that he will, will actually do all that he has promised to do. That's what, that's what Paul is concerned about here, especially in verse 5. He says, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. This is what the tempter does. It's what the tempter has always done from all the way back. The beginning in the garden. Did God God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree? (laughs) Seriously? Any tree? (laughs) You know, that's that's just nonsense. There's no danger here. You will not die. In fact, God is holding back on you. God's not looking out for you in your well-being. I mean, how can you trust a God like that? You best take things into your own hands. You best rely on your own instincts. You're on your own, clearly, obviously. Make your own decisions. Do it your way. Now, see, at that point, <laughs> our faith has moved. And, and, and do you want to know how you know if your faith or the faith of someone else has moved from God-reliance to self-reliance? Well, here's what happens. When our faith moves from God and on to self, 
we assume responsibility for our own good, for our own protection, for deciding what's best, determining what's right and wrong. And, and you trust you. And listen, we always obey what we trust. We trust, and then we obey. And when we entrust ourselves to us, it, it takes little time at all, and we recognize that our abilities, our capacities, our resources for upholding and protecting our interests, keeping us safe, making good decisions, getting all that we want, are pretty flimsy. And when we place our confidence and assurance in us, very soon we begin to feel how vulnerable we really are. And the emotions that rise to the surface when we depend upon ourselves are mainly anxiety and anger and dissatisfaction. And when we find ourselves in over our heads, what do you feel? You feel fear. Anxiety is a sure sign that the object of our faith has shifted, been dislodged and moved. And when we can't fix our problems ourselves and when our desires are frustrated, this is what I want, now, <laughs> we feel anger. Anger is often a sure sign that the object of our faith has become dislodged and moved. And when we can't have what we want, when we want it, we get ticked off. And the sum total of our self-reliance is a, it's a fundamental and, and just pervasive feeling of dissatisfaction. Joyless frustration is often a sure sign that the object of our faith has become dislodged and moved. Are, are you mindful how, how common it is for us to believe in Jesus, but to rely on, depend on other things. So for Paul, faith, faith goes far beyond the act of just believing. Faith is the act of depending on, the act of relying upon, the act of trusting, specifically depending on God, relying on God, and trusting God to keep the promises that he has made. And so that's what we're about. That is really fundamentally the, the most significant guiding principle to which we hold at Emmaus Road Church. Our aim in everything that we do is about establishing and nourishing and strengthening and deepening the joy of your faith in God and all that he has promised to do and to be for you in the person of Jesus Christ. We preach God's word to build up your faith. We read the Bible to build your faith. We meet in discipleship huddles in order to strengthen one another's faith. We sing the songs that we sing to build our faith. We proclaim the gospel in the hopes of establishing faith. We serve one another. We care for one another. We pray for one another. We love one another. We forgive one another. We exhort one another in spiritual community for the sake of one another's faith. 
It's all for the joy of your faith. Now here's the second question. Why? Why is focusing on faith building, strengthening a joyful faith, the fundamental guiding principle for Paul? Paul was willing to disadvantage himself, to be left behind in Athens for the sake of the Thessalonians' faith. Building the faith of others was life-giving to Paul. Now we live. Now we're really alive in and when you're standing firm in your confidence that God will do all he has promised. Building the faith of others was Paul's passion. Why? We can't really answer that unless we know what's ultimately at stake. So what's really at stake? Back in Romans 4, 20 and 21, Paul tells us what is ultimately at stake. And that's the glory of God. It's the glory of God. He writes, no distrust was No distrust made him, that is Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. How does God get glory? When we are fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. The greatest expression of honor is... I trust you. Probably the greatest expression of dishonor is, I don't trust you. When we trust God to do what he has promised to do, fully convinced in our hearts, God gets the glory. And everything flows from there. Paul writes in Romans 14, 23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I mean, listen, no, no matter what good might be done, and, and there are people that do lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of good things. If, it, if that good, whatever it is, is, that is done, flows from a spring of self-reliance rather than God-reliance, it's just about you. And that's why Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Honor God. Glorify God. So what's at stake? Listen, the glory of God is what is at stake. And that's that's huge. That's what what Paul means, I think, in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 and 10. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. When God's people are trusting that God will do what he's promised to do, even when things are hard and seemingly out of control, Who gets the glory? Who do we thank? 
God gets the glory. God gets the thanks. Because God supplied what was needed. Thank you God for that. Glory to God for that. Loved ones, joyful trust in God and all the grace that he has promised and has given is the Isn't it the most convincing sign that the gospel has actually changed our hearts? (laughs) That's a powerful evidence that God has worked in us. And so the reason that we do all that we do to establish and nourish and strengthen and deepen one another's assurance that God will do precisely all that he has promised to do is so that God will be thanked. It's so that God will be praised. It's so that God will be exalted through a people who have tasted this soul-satisfying joy of a God who, all that he has promised to be for them, peace in knowing that God will meet every need, comfort in knowing God in Christ will forgive every sin, confidence that God in Christ has obtained for them a future of eternal joy, all of that. Now, it's, it's the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday of the month, it is our custom to draw particular attention to the very act, the very thing by which God has guaranteed the fulfillment of every promise that he has made, including the promise of forgiveness of all our sins, as well as the promise of an inheritance of eternal joy at his right hand. And that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that's why we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God find their certainty, their absolute guarantee of fulfillment in him, in Christ. That is in Christ's death on the cross. See the connection there is between trusting Jesus' death on the cross and trusting God's promises? Relying on Jesus' death on the cross means relying on all of God's promises. It means I understand that because Jesus died on the cross, God can and God will fulfill every promise he has made to someone as undeserving as me. And then, because I understand this, I trust God's promises, which are all yes to me now in Christ. Trusting Christ Jesus' death on the cross means trusting all God's promises are true for me because of the cross. Heart of the Christian life, the heart of being a disciple of Jesus, the heart of making and multiplying disciples who will impact the city and our region and the nations for the glory of Jesus, is trusting all that God promises to be to us and for us In Jesus Christ. It's not merely some vague trust. In the Bible there is a promise for every problem. And these promises are true for me and for you. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. So trusting Jesus' death on the cross today and every day. Means trusting all of God's promises. 
that can only be true for us because of the cross. And it's for this reason. Everything Paul did was dedicated to the singular passion and purpose of building and strengthening the joy of people's faith in God. And for this reason, we have sought to make the focus of every thing that we do, every component of our so-called delivery system for making and multiplying disciples, it's to turn people's reliance off from themselves and direct their reliance onto God and all that God has promised to do and to be. Let's pray. For the sake of your glory, for the sake of the honor of your name, for the sake of the praise of all that you are, we turn to you. We turn away from self-reliance. We turn away from self-salvation. We turn away from selfishness and we entrust ourselves to you. And we do this according to the grace that you have promised to everyone who will call on you. In Jesus' name, we're looking to you, Lord. So I pray that even as we give attention now to this most profound expression that you have offered to us, this expression of love and care and mercy in the, the offering of, the, of your own son as a substitute, sacrifice in our place. It is the guarantee that every promise that you have made is a yes for us. In Christ Jesus. We're trusting you Lord. To fulfill your promise even now. That to those who would ask for your Holy Spirit. You'd give more. Because in the giving of your spirit. We see more. We sense more. We, we know more fully. More personally. We're trusting you to keep that promise as well. That promise that is assured to us. Because of Jesus' death. So get glory now, God, in keeping these promises that we are trusting. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.